0: Hello everyone out there in crypto land. It is approximately 11 a.m. EST on the earth, which means that it is time for another exciting, stimulating, captivating, nutritious, comedic, um, whatever adjectives we want to throw in there, BitMart, AMA. My guest today is going to be Brandon from the Hubble Protocol. Uh, I believe if I've gotten all of my information correct and I'm interested to talk to him more so because he is also a content manager like I am. And I've never spoken to another content manager on one of these AMAs before. Brandon, are you there? Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me. Of course. And how could I not with a Twitter name like dude bro here? I'm just glad you're here, dude bro. Cheers. (laughs) Uh, like I said, I'm also really, um, really glad to have you as the content strategist on because usually I'm talking to marketing guys. Sometimes I talk to the CEO. Sometimes I talk to, you know, this, that, and the other. And I'm the content marketing manager for BitMart, so we are actually, you know, same level here of uh, having to create content. You,
1: content creators.
0: Yes. 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 So. Um, and I, I'll say this up front I love the name Hubble Protocol because it reminds me of a Hubble telescope but since I'm a 90s kid it also makes me I have to stop myself from calling it the Hubba Bubba Bubble Tape Protocol okay so also marketing change in case maybe somehow the Hubble Protocol doesn't work out just just saying that
1: um, I don't remember
0: Hubba Bubba fondly to be honest there's
1: something you always got it on uh, Halloween, right? I I
0: would it's go like, I would go and buy it at the store.
1: It's the one that comes wrapped up in like the blue and yellow paper, right?
0: No, no, you're thinking of something else. The bubble tape was the one that came in these pink. Uh, it was like a it was like a foot long or something like that, and it was it was like tape, and you could you could roll it out, and you know I'm not going to say that it was the highest quality bubble gum in the world, but uh, you know.
1: <clears throat> oh no! It's not, it's not talking about Hubba Bubba. No, I know Bubble Tea. Oh yes, the great flavor yeah. is legendary. There it's you amazing. go.
0: Of course, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And that's unfortunately not what we're talking about today. I could probably talk to Brandon about that for hours. This is why
1: uh, content shouldn't do anything.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. So we are here to talk about the Hubble Protocol, and I think that this is actually going to be a really interesting. Conversation because of the unique features of the Hubble protocol, Um, especially with what is happening in the market right now with the collapse of Terra and with the, um, I guess we can call it a collapse now. I'm actually not sure on the status of that, of Celsius pausing withdrawals. And so everybody's worried about. Um, stable coins and stuff depegging and stuff not being as rock solid as they thought that it was. And that is my understanding of what USDH is kind of trying to fix. So, Brandon, yeah. I'm going to quit talking here in a minute and I'm going to let you talk about what exactly is the Hubble Protocol. Um, what is this USDH that I keep mentioning? And kind of, you know, maybe you can expand a little bit on maybe why this is needed or where you see the market right now. And I'll let you talk as long as you want.
1: All right. Thanks, man. Um, So Hubble is, at its heart, a stablecoin protocol. Um, We operate on a collateral debt position model, which is a model of making a stablecoin backed by crypto assets. And it's one that can be walked back essentially to zero without users losing all of their funds. I think uh, Vitalik Buterin recently wrote a piece with some thought experiments about how a stablecoin could essentially be something safe for the crypto community. And it's like, can it go to zero without people losing everything? And that's something an algorithmic stablecoin really can't do, usually in this process of having two tokens or whatever model they have without any backing. And um, if it goes to zero, there's just nothing there. So with the fiat-backed stablecoin, it is understood to be worth a dollar because you can theoretically exchange any stablecoin, uh, like USDC, USDT, that's backed by uh, fiat for money. If, even if it's like worth $0.70, cents, you can take a $0.70 cent USDC and get $1 back, which naturally b- drives the price back up to $1. If anyone to take that. Uh, the risk there, though, is that kind of stablecoin that's backed by fiat has a lot of uh, factors that like really freeze it. First of all, like, its centrally issued um, USDT, I think combined have frozen over 700 accounts, uh, much more on the USDT side. Uh, but yeah, they just get asked to, and they could freeze like 100 million overnight. Uh, that's pretty crippling to decentralized finance because. If you think about exchanges that have tokens paired with these tokens or um, borrow and lend uh, you know, protocols that really depend on their solvency to have these tokens lent out or uh, people deposit them, if at any point there's a regulation that comes through or even if a, a wallet is incorrectly as being one that's sounds like dubious or against AML regulations, yeah, things get frozen. So USDH is a censorship-resistant stablecoin backed by 1.2 dollars in uh, crypto assets. So we're over-collateralized, and it's created by people taking a debt position. So say you're getting rock-bottom prices on Bitcoin, ETH, SOL, um, you know, a lot of tokens that are for projects that aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Um, you want to hold on to them for a long while well you can deposit them on hubble and then borrow stable coins right now at an 80% loan to value uh, which means the maximum you can borrow against like one dollar bitcoin is 80 cents of uh, usdh and then whenever you're ready to pay back your loan you give back the USDH you owed, plus uh, right now 0.5% 0. 0, uh, 0. fee, and you get back your collateral. So you can hold on to your Bitcoin, you can hold on to your ETH, you can hold on to your SOL, and also we have a bunch of other collateral types, and we're adding more that you can really you know, keep as they appreciate in value once we get out of this bear market, and at the same time have stable coins to use for anything in decentralized finance if you want to buy other tokens or if um, you have real-world expenses or short-term obligations to meet, yeah, you have stable coins. You, instead of sell, uh, leaving your position, maybe in Bitcoin, uh, you can get USDH. And it's built to be sustainable. Like, we... This model is is something that isn't just going to disappear overnight. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's something that's... It's, it's, it's good finance and the more we get, you know, token pairs, um, like on AMMs, like uh, Orca, Radium, uh Sabre, we, Prima, I mean, there's a bunch on Solana right now that we're getting token pairs with. Uh, the more people can earn yields and uh, we're also trying to provide yield opportunities through Hubble. Um, so that's kind of what we do right now. We're, we're really focused on USDH, but we're also expanding um into other products that you know need to be explored in decentralized finance.
0: Yeah, and we, you know, Bitmart just came back from Consensus 2022 and unfortunately I was working a lot most of the time so I didn't get to really go around Consensus and see um everything that I wanted to, but I'm telling you even just the little bit that I saw DeFi is going through this amazing transition period where Um, You know, a couple of years ago, people, I don't think, you know, you'd hear the word decentralized finance and people would be like, oh, like Bitcoin and it's in a bank and you can earn interest on it. And like that was as simple as it got. And in some ways it's gotten too complicated, but then in other ways people are just doing so much work in the space, um, like Hubble, like we're going to talk about to like really just think about all the pain points that are currently happening and trying to avoid uh, that stuff something i wanted to touch on really quickly um, that you were talking about is uh, uh, about the kind of i don't want to say danger but about the risk of fiat backed stable coins and i think that this is really interesting that when we talk about stable coins some people in the crypto community are like no no stable coins because you know we d- we're trying to get away from that and we want deflationary tokens or we want tokens with these properties but there is a need for stable coins. Um, even in a total crypto economy, you see this in d- the developing world. People want something that is not as volatile as, as even Bitcoin. But the risk of a fiat stable coin, uh, for anyone in the audience who doesn't know, is that it depends on that fiat being stable. So if you could imagine that if you had pegged a um, stable coin to even a prominent fiat in the world, which is the Russian ruble, uh, a year ago, it would have been doing okay, and now it would essentially have, you know, not gone to zero, but it would have gone down enough that that stable coin is is worthless. And you can never, unfortunately, because of politics and other circumstances, know that your fiat is going to go one-to-one, which is the entire reason probably a lot of us have gotten into crypto.
1: Another problem you too, is also just what is actually backing those tokens. So it's usually... Said like in uh, dollar or dollar-denominated assets. Now, how easily can that dollar-denominated asset be traded back into a dollar if there's essentially a rush to trade fiat-backed stablecoins into dollars? You know, would there be insolvency for the the company that's issuing those tokens if something major happens?
0: True. Um, true. So true. Yeah. Or if we get into another uh, 2008 sort of scenario where we say, oh, the Fiat assets backing up these things are super stable, and it turns out that those have actually been improperly um, managed. And there's yeah, way too much
1: risk. They into it's like a, into almost just worthlessness. And then what? Yeah. It, so everything that you, every USdh, you can essentially trace all of its collateral on chain. It's visible. It's a, you can you can check. You know?
0: Yeah. Don't trust Yes, exactly. The old adage, don't trust, verify, and not your keys, not your cheese. That's my other favorite one. <laughs> um, so I'm interested to know this. Um, so Hubble is a – I'm sorry, USDH is a Solana native token, and I always like to try and discuss Solana because it's not one of the blockchains I pay – huge amount of attention to, even though I know it is one of the big Ethereum competitors. I'm interested to know why USDH chose Solana over lots of other chains, and if you um, if you have any concerns about Solana seems to be having like a lot of downtime recently, or do you consider it maybe growing pains?
1: Um, that's funny, because I'm actually in London at a Solana hacker house. I just flew in this morning from Vietnam, nice. and... Uh, it's just amazing the energy behind this chain so I, I gotta say when i was first interviewing with our founder marius and we're talking about DeFi and all the different chains i was like i don't know about solana it just went down you know this was in october and it went down in september and i really hadn't paid much attention but um, marius has a back he worked at bloomberg for eight years and he's just like a passionate programmer since like preteen days and he's been in finance like for a very long time, and he's telling me, look, right now there's no layer one that can, like sustain a global financial system like Solana. Everything else is gonna run into the same kind of uh, scalability problems that Ethereum hit. And you can't, I mean, there are options for a multi-chain future, but it's kind of a uh, technology we don't have. And some, we don't get to do things like compose smart contracts together. We don't get to uh, have like a a one layer of trust, right? And you really need that to have, you know, a lot of transactions for tons of people and all these different kinds of methods of changing up like what the scalability solution is gonna be with layer twos, with sharding, all of them kind of create a vulcanization of funds, right? Um, so Solana is a really high-powered technology that's in its infancy. And yeah, it's had some hiccups. So um, there's a massive team working behind it to, to fix these things, though. Um, no technology is working right off the bat, but it's not one that's, that's just being built on, 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 I don't know, on, on faith and dreams. I'm, I'm, I've been to a couple Solana events now, and after following the chain and like being in the dead chats and watching people work, it, it looks like something that has a lot of legs, like a really good network that could onboard tons of people who probably in the future just won't realize they're using DeFi while they're using it. Like it's crazy. Like uh, Stephen, uh recently brought in tons of users and drove up the, uh, uh, the average volume on a worker, um, and I think a lot of people using Stepin don't realize they're using block tech, blockchain technology even. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't have any worries about Solana. Um, it's something that has fixes coming out. There's a, a quick fix. There's a, a fee schedule. Um, the idea that you, know, you don't have a fee market makes it quite difficult to keep out bots, but I mean this is all stuff on the cutting edge that really smart people are trying to work out. That's I think like one of the advantages of Hubble actually is we're building on Solana and a lot of really good builders are on there too. Um, keep meeting lots of teams and awesome people who have like really like deep faith in in their projects and what they're doing. They're not just around for you know the tokens. Um, and if you look at, like, how many DEXs there are, like, decentralized exchanges on, on Solana are actually, you know, getting people adding liquidity, people using them. Um, I think there's, like, about a dozen right now. I, I can't think of other chains that I've used off Ethereum that have, like, that much, you know, like, development in just something like decentralized exchange.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I I'm I'm not trying to, you know, unnecessarily throw shade on Solana. I just always have to have a critical mind. No, yeah. I, I,
1: yeah, no, totally. it, it's had it's had these kinds of like hiccups
0: and there's a lot of times we can't push
1: like something through because you have to do multiple like transactions to get it done. But yeah, i'd say like i don't know i grew up with a 56k modem and a phone call would knock that off you
0: know sure <laughs> well and that's that's what i was going to explain to people i was going to say you know sometimes people don't know their crypto history and so i feel like it's actually a little bit in in a lot of i mean in more ways it's easier for a crypto project to get started now because you have people with experience vc funding whatever you would happen to need to get it started off but it's also harder because there's so much media attention and so I almost feel like every time you see an article or you see something, they're like, oh, Solana's down again. They forget that, I mean, Ethereum's DAO hack was a humongous thing that completely split and bifurcated the network. Ether Classic is still around. If you don't believe me, you can look it up on CoinMarketCap. Um, And Bitcoin, you know, the holy grail of cryptocurrencies, people think that nothing ever went wrong there. But once again, you got to look in your Bitcoin history, go through the forums. There was once a – it was either Satoshi himself or somebody uh, that was working on it. They accidentally executed a line and there were like a billion bitcoins that were created. And so, you know, of course they fixed it, but it's – and these things are, you know, a lot of these things are seven-plus years ago in the past, so people have very short memories. But my point is any project that's worth its salt is going to – you should actually expect it to have hiccups. I think that's a good, that's a good indication that um, people are doing – hard enough work and innovating enough that something breaks a little bit and the real test is do you fix it when it breaks do you have enough people around who want to fix it or do people just give up and they're just like oh no we don't like it and so I'm going to agree with you here Brandon that Solana people can criticize it however they want but it seems like it is a um, it's a chain that is going to be around and that people continually want to fix and the I'll say it. I think there's a little bit of good fanaticism around it. It kind of reminds me of Cardano in that way. And Cardano is a rock-solid project. So I can only hope that Solana goes the same way.
1: Yeah, I mean, okay, so I just came from Vietnam, and about two weeks ago, there was a, a Web3 coding camp that that wrapped up. And I went to the award ceremony uh, out of the blue because uh, one of our partners told us about it. And uh, it was just amazing to see all these like really young Vietnamese who came from all over the country, like super stoked about Solana and just learned Rust. I mean, they had a programming background, but a bunch of them just made uh, smart contracts in Rust for the first time ever. Um, and th- that kind of event, too, uh, like a, a Web3 coding camp. It's just like the network's effects that come out of that. It's amazing, like helping build up from the ground uh, Web3. Um, so it's a focus, not just on the chain, but you know, like the layer zero effect of people who who make this stuff happen. Um, even if they're not going to go like work on Solana or they get the idea to work on something else. I mean, there's a ton of people just getting introduced at a very young age to like, what is Web3 and here's how to do some stuff. And I just think that's just really cool.
0: I know it's, it's crazy. Once again, as, as a nineties kid, I was born in 1991. I always like. I, I just turned 31 and I, I feel like an old man while I realize that I'm absolutely not an old man when I, when I look around at actual old men. But to see kids that are like uh, 20, 21, sometimes in their teens and they're already, they're programming, they're doing this, they, you know, they bought a CryptoPunk early, they did this, they did that, you're just like, wow, it, it all moves so fast. And... Um, So we've been talking about it being on Solana. It's a Solana native, and I actually wanted to let everyone in the audience know that if you want a great graphic on where Hubble stands um, when compared to other coins, if you go on the blog for Hubble Protocol, there's an article called YUSDH, and it's got this great graphic where it uh, compares Hubble to fiat-backed coins, crypto-backed coins, and algorithmic-backed coins with all these check marks um, for the different properties and that's actually kind of helped me here as Brandon has been explaining it because Hubble has so many features. So we've been talking about it being a Solana native coin and under multi-chain, there's not a check mark. It says coming soon. I'd like to know what that multi-chain kind of looks like and is that going to be like a Polkadot integration, like a parachain sort of thing? Or is it going to be, you know, how, how's that going to look and, and what are the the hopes with that, of it going onto other chains? Because we've we've already... Talk so much about how it's great to be on such a robust network as Solana. Why branch out in other chains?
1: Um, Well, I'd I'd say it's a bit above my pay grade until like start talking about this stuff. But yeah, we do have in our roadmap uh, moving on to other chains. Um, Which ones... Can't say a hundred percent. Um, although we're building in Rust and so anything that can run on Rust would probably be the best because like we security audit and test our smart contracts through and through in Rust. Um, but it doesn't include like other chains. But um yeah, I, I mean I don't discount the fact there's a possibility of a multi-chain future, but, um and to increase liquidity across different chains wouldn't be a bad thing. Sure. Um uh, it's also an interesting, you know, kind of, like, we're all working towards something. We don't know what the future is, but every one of these projects are just working their asses off to try and make the best thing possible. Um, and say, like, look at MakerDAO. They're on so many different chains, and they're doing some cool things about, like, cross-chain liquidity there. And we'd like to, you know, also explore, like, what's possible. We're Hubble, so we're out to explore, like, the DeFi universe. You um, want to really do focus on, on Solana, but... Can't just be uh, so nearsighted if there's a possibility of like like what comes out of working cross chain. Just don't know, and we have a, a really good team and the wherewithal to do it. So yeah, it's in the, it's in the cards.
0: Sure, yeah, and, and you know one of the most exciting parts about crypto is that you just don't know. Unfortunately, we're in one of those periods where. Even people working at Coinbase or or Kraken or large exchanges, they're not knowing in a bad way, and there's layoffs and contractions and things like that. But, you know, if history is going to repeat itself again, we're going to be on the upswing sooner rather than later, and there's just always something exciting around the corner. Something else I want to talk about when related to USDH is censorship resistance, because I feel like that's a word That's a phrase that's always associated with Bitcoin or it's associated with maybe Monero as well. It's associated with like a super high quality of uh, crypto. But I'd like to know specifically when it comes to USDH, like could you explain uh, why it is censorship resistant or what they mean by that?
1: Oh, it's not the same as like Monero where it's like kind of a, like a privacy deal, but it's, it's something like Bitcoin wherein um, it'd be very difficult to shut off the value that you hold in your wallet when you have USDH. Um, it's backed by assets that are censorship resistant like Bitcoin. And, and that means it has a value that's, that's, that's not pegged to uh, essentially a centralized issuance um yeah it, it exists in the, the ecosystem uh as a dollar and as long as we have the mechanisms in place to defend the peg and keep it at that you have a dollar in value and we're working on ways uh to make sure that uh like the peg stability module is something that we're going to be launching very soon and that gives users the opportunity to risk-free arbitrage USDH for another token. Um, it looks like that token is going to be USDC um, because it's actually like a safe bet. It's not like we're going to take on enough USDC to risk that if USDC ever does have to shut things down, it would be an existential threat to USDH. It, but What it does is give users kind of a very easy opportunity to enter USDC position, which they can essentially trade for fiat or just help us arbitrage USDH back to a dollar. Um, so yeah, censorship resistance is essentially, it means you're going to hold it and you're going to have it. Sure. <laughs> we can't shut it off and no one else can, can shut it off. So that's
0: that's pretty good. Yeah. And, um, you know, to, to your point, I don't think that USDC is going to uh, shut off anytime soon. Actually, news as of today is that Circle, who issues USDC, they're also coming out with a euro-backed stablecoin. So it looks like they're expanding, even in this bear market. And so not only would you be able to go back to the dollar, it, potentially, if you really want to, you'd be able to go back to the euro. Those are the two dominant currencies on this planet um, until we find another one so no no worries about that yet I'm trying to think about going down the line here um, of questions that I want to ask and I'm still waiting for some listener questions to come in everybody remember it's hashtag bitmarthBB if you have a question that you want to ask Brandon I can't keep him here forever as much as I want to but I will try and keep him here so that some questions can come in okay here's what somebody wants to know they want to know uh since hubble protocol is a relatively new protocol and people there might be some people that aren't into stable coins how do you plan to expand your community globally
1: all right, so um, we're building a pretty decent community right now on our Discord and uh, with our forum to allow users to like actually put their ideas forward and what we would change. And I think we're getting traction as people come and see that Hubble's the real deal and they want to be part of it. So that's one thing that's like very close to us that as people come and interact, they they come and stay. It's really cool to see it on our Discord, and everyone's invited to come join. Um, we have people who are consistently, you know, there just talking about DeFi and talking about Hubble. And then an idea reaches a certain point, they put it on the forum. Um, and something we've had uh, for a while, and we're constantly trying to improve, is our ambassador program. And we want to reach out to, um, as you said, like the world. Um, we have ambassadors working in different languages. Uh, we just had an AMA in Chinese last Friday. Um, we're going to be doing an AMA in French this coming Thursday, uh, with Jupiter. And, uh, we're, we're translating our docs into, uh, different languages. And I think that's something that we can look at more fully, uh, as, as we see more of a community demand, because I think Chinese and French are the largest communities outside of the English-speaking uh, that we've seen. Um, if people are really into DeFi, especially DeFi on Solana, they're going to also see us popping up more and more, because we're building integrations with a lot of partner projects. Uh, and like, uh, like, like I said before, uh, you, can swap, you can pair uh, USDH with tokens on several DEXs, but uh, you can also lend USDH or borrow it, um, like Solend and Port. Um, we are also now going to be working with Lido, um, and their token, uh, sol is going to be one of the first uh, new collateral types we've added um, since launch. Uh, and Actually, we're having a promotion there, too. Uh, so starting tomorrow, Friday, uh, goes live uh, users who take a loan against Stakesole, uh at least 40% LTV and at least 40% of the uh, the whole loan collateral made of soul, they can start uh, earning uh, LDO which is Lido's token and we have about 10,000 uh, of these tokens to give out over a two month period so it's about 250 a day so we're trying to do things with big protocols like Lido. We're trying to do things with up-and-coming protocols as well, Solana ecosystem, um, where people can earn rewards that are not crazy inflationary, but they're in tokens you might want to keep. Like Lido is like, one of the biggest names in decentralized finance. I know um, State ETH right now is taking some heat in the media, but like – that's because they're one of the biggest got billions in total value locked so we're yeah we're expanding into uh, as much as possible maybe it'd be just impossible to avoid you know hubble and usdh eventually so we're
0: working on chain and
1: we're working off chain
0: yeah i think that would be a good problem to have is that if it was un- you were unable to avoid usdh and hubble right that's kind of uh that's kind of the goal here and of course you're going to be able to buy USDH on Bitmart as of I believe June 27th is when it's going live. So if you're listening to this, you're going to be an early adopter if you're a Bitmart user.
1: Um, well, um we're we're going to be listing HBB which is our native token, and it's uh, in the future going to be our government's token. I don't know if USDH will be listed as well, but yeah, I think the listing's for HBV.
0: Gotcha. You know what? You're right. I totally mixed that up. That is my mistake here. That is my mistake. Um, it's
1: all good, but we, we are going to be giving away uh, USDH to some lucky listeners, and um, we are also planning on a giveaway project that anyone listening now, if they go to Hubble, all right, and mint eighty eight dollars of u s d h and keep that position until the end of July um We will follow those metrics and airdrop someone three hundred dollars uh and that I think is pretty cool. It might be worth mentioning again, um but that's a, yeah what we plan on doing using chain data
0: perfect well, I mean, what could be better than that? you know you're listening to Brandon, he's got an amazing sweet voice, and a great message, and a lovely disposition, and now he wants to give you a present just because he's working on this great project. Brandon, this is a great actual, actual segue because I've kind of been focused on USDH for this conversation, and it completely went over my head that you also have the HBB governance token. I was going to segue into that, but I've just... USDH was kind of such a mind equals blown moment for me that we have completely neglected HBB. I apologize. Let us... Let us uh, now hear from you exactly about the governance token of HBB for the Hubble Protocol. And I assume that since it's a governance token, we've got a DAO. We've got all sorts of cool stuff associated with that. Brandon, please tell us about it.
1: All right. So, yeah, um, yeah, HBB is kind of the the, the unifying force of what will be a DAO. Um, Right now, we're quite centralized and we're building everything. Um, to a point where we feel comfortable to start taking the steps to decentralize into community-run governance in a sustainable way. So HPP will be the token that allows people to propose and vote on um, new changes for the protocol. That could be like what rates um, will be charged for borrowing USDH, um, uh, what kind of... Like, in the future, like, do you want to move on to an EVM chain? That could be something that, that could be brought up and voted on using HBB. Um And so users can uh, earn HBB. uh USDH actually has a lot of <laughs> good yield opportunities in Solana, but on Hubble, too. So we have something called the USDH vault. Um, what that does is when users put USDH into the vault, it's used to help pay off bad debt. And then users earn liquidations from uh, help paying off bad debt. And that's essentially like uh, a 1 to 1.1 in extra value you get in, say, like Bitcoin or ETH or SOL. Um That makes sense. Uh, like if you're USDH and you get 1.1 in the same value in Bitcoin back when someone's liquidated. Along with that, um, you get a drip of HBB. And HPB can be put into the HBB vault and staked uh, to earn rewards from the protocol. As we develop more services and products, that will enable us to give USDA rewards to people who stake HBB. We also have uh, uh, some something in the works for an escrowed HBB, and uh, we're working to try and make it as uh, let's see, as community centered and uh, as how do we build value, you know, with our native token um, without, you know, like setting up ways that people can short it or or just kind of use it as just a monetary instrument? We, we want to have like it's an actual token with utility and properties that will enable governance. So like we're working up towards like how how to actually do that, get everyone to collaborate on this uh, on success and health of this token. So, it's not so much like us focusing on HBB, but more the, the success of USDH. And then the success of HBB just kind of follows that. Because if a protocol does well, USDH does well, people will want to participate in HBB.
0: Gotcha. Well, thank you for, uh, th- thank you for the um, explanation of that, Brandon. I usually am super on top of every single thing that we're talking about. And so, the fact that I left something out, you know, it, it's, uh, it's the worst case scenario for me. So we'll, we'll move on from that now that you've fully explained it, and I've apologized. So nah, we, um, we uh, have some new, more less listener questions that have come in, and somebody wants to know, I think that you may have explained this with Lido and the different platforms that you were talking about, but maybe this is a more general and broad question. A listener wants to know, what partnerships do you have now? and how are you planning to cooperate with people together in the future? So I think you may have answered that, but maybe also there's a segment of that that you haven't. So any way you want to take that?
1: Um, we have quite a few partnerships in the Solana ecosystem. Um, uh, uh, lenders and DEXs. Um could name them all. Uh, It's like on the lending, Solend, Port, uh, with DEXs, Mercurial. Um, We're working closely with Jupiter aggregator and we're actually going to be integrating their swap feature into bubble, kind of make us a one-stop shop. You know, increasing user friendliness is is another one of our goals. You know, we're kind of into DeFi and people show up at a a DeFi app and they're into DeFi. If not, you're kind of wondering what's going on. So instead of having to have people people go and find Jupiter or something, if they find Hubble, um, and let's see, we're working on some some form of NFT integration and who who else? I'm trying to think. I haven't been in the business development side of things for a bit because we beefed out the team, and I don't know who they're talking to uh, a whole lot. But on my side, I'm trying to talk to uh, lots of influencers and people who put out quality content. Um, and I'm not sure if that's so much of the, the same as like the compartment of things. But yeah, I think DeFi is a people-powered financial system. So I think working with as many people who put out quality content is also a really big uh, step in, in how we get out, you know, our partnership uh, juice.
0: Understood. So we're going to assume that there's just too many people, and that's why you can't remember them. That's the way to answer that, Brandon. We're, we're, there's just too many so, people.
1: Yeah, you not believe the content calendar and the master map right now, trying to get it all sorted out. Like, <laughs> today, just the, the amount of announcements that we have is just announcements. you have so, a notify uh, coming out so people can get notifications if they're getting close to the liquidation threshold, the Jupiter swap coming out. And it's like timing all of these things is, is kind of a
0: woo Oh yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you there, Brandon. We're from one content uh, manager and strategist to another. Uh, but luckily, I, I get to focus on a little bit more more fun things than logistical stuff like this. So um, actually, we had a listener question come in that is a very basic question, but also a very profound question that I was also wondering, and I just neglected to ask at the beginning of the conversation. Somebody wants to know where did the name Hubble Protocol come from, and why is it called Hubble Protocol?
1: Uh, Marius was reading a book about mathematicians and uh, read something about Erwin Hubble. He's the guy who um, hypothesized that the universe is expanding, um, which kind of went against. Einstein's view of a constant universe, he added something called lambda to his equations to make it work, but Hubble, yeah, is kind of like the birth of astrophysics. Gotcha. It's a a cool name, and yeah, we're kind of on an exploratory stage of of decentralized finance. We're really at the early adoption stage, so we're exploring.
0: Yeah, I'd actually like to pick your brain about that for one second, because... um... And then we have somebody who has asked a question about um, how you're feeling about this this current bear market. But so I was, like I said, I was a consensus with, uh, with BitMart here, and I got to see all the stuff, you know, all around there. And it's interesting when I go out in my personal life with family, friends, people that are not into crypto, and I'm, you know, I'm very in this universe. It's like being a gardener or something like that, and you... Um, You don't realize that everybody doesn't grow their own tomatoes or something like that, and it's. I realize that there's still lots of people that have not even heard of Bitcoin, and Bitcoin to me is, you know, it's the Coca-Cola of cryptocurrency. It's like how could you not have heard of it, even if you don't use it. But then when it comes to DeFi, I almost don't even think that we're in like the early stages. We're in like the microscopic stages, and that's fascinating to me because. You know, you go to a place like Consensus, and you're like, oh, everybody knows about it. There's so much going on. And then the larger world, people are like, what is what is DeFi? What are your thoughts on that about where we are right now?
1: Uh, crazy early. I used to work as a freelancer writing for tons of different projects through an editor, uh, a friend of mine. And I would see all these different ideas. Maybe they work, maybe they're not. But there's an explosion of ideas and people trying to come up with ideas. Uh, like different ways to approach decentralized finance, but still, like, there's so many ideas, like, which ones are going to come out and actually improve something? And we have an amazing technology in the blockchain, and we're so early on that that even DeFi might be something like one of the most advanced use cases in blockchain, but, but it's still so early. I think it's like, talk about email. You couldn't send in a secure email. Okay. Email was considered something like weapons-grade munitions in the early 90s, or like, uh, yeah. I think in the early 90s, they came up with a way to send encrypted emails, and they actually got a cease and desist from the United States government, but the government decided that it was so complicated, no one would ever use it, so it's moot. And then you (laughs) you couldn't send an encrypted email until 1998. So no businesses were using email until 1998. Which is crazy to think about. And then you have something like Napster showing up in 2000, which was just an explosion of peer to peer sharing. And then what you got uh, an iPhone by 2006. So, in under 10 years, you go from unencrypted emails to an iPhone. Um, and we're kind of in that point, I think, where if you look at metrics and how many people use blockchain technology, it's the internet in 1995. Now, when it was 1995, my household got a CD in the mail with. Uh, America Online on it. Oh, yeah. And this, you paid by the minute to use the internet. And it was a walled garden version of the internet. It was well curated by them. And if you wanted to go to anything, you went into the strange internet that didn't have a search function. So you just had to know exactly where you were going. I think about how much a search engine and then Google changed everything. And this is all years ahead of when the CD came in the mail to my home. Um, it's just, it's wild how early we are and how. How much progress needs to be made in, in user experience and, and functionality? I mean, we talked about the big hiccups in Solana, but I mean, user experience isn't that great on a lot of other chains I've used for decentralized finance when there's a meltdown going, going on. And you just want to, you know, unwind your position, but you can't because number one, the transaction is too expensive and it won't go through, it just happens with every chain. So we're, we're figuring a lot of stuff out, and I think mass adoption is going to come when certain things are figured out or when something is so attractive as, as to, to get people on board. But right now, it's, it's definitely in an early stage. Yeah. I, can't really think, I can't really think of something that's like uh, kind of the same hallmark of that of, of CD coming in the mail, but I guess in like five or ten years, we'll, we'll say something like, can you remember in 2022 when we were doing that? How crazy is
0: that? I know. Oh gosh, I, I and I can't get started down this track because then we'll be. I can't talk for two more hours because I have to get back to work. But I, I'll I'll, <laughs> se- I'll segue. I'll segue with this question. Where, yeah, you know, when I was a kid, listeners, and I I try to gauge how the types, the ages, and where people are listening to this. And maybe a lot of people won't get this reference, but Brandon, perhaps you will. I remember um, when I was a kid growing up and first using a computer, especially a computer in school, the dominant search engine was a search engine called Ask Jeeves, okay? People will not remember that probably, depending on the location of where you are in the world and um, the age of where you are, but I'd I'd ask you to Google it. And I clearly remember a computer teacher that I had when I was, oh, let's say 10, 11, talking about, hey, there's this new search engine out, and it's called Google google and even as a little kid i thought google that's like that's like a nonsense word what is that and you'd go to google and it was still a pretty basic search engine never in my life could i have imagined that not only would google like run like the world and like have like you know the high standards of all the software stuff that it does but that ask jeeves it's technically still around i think somebody bought it maybe it's owned by yahoo or something like that but nobody you know if I ever have children, they'll never use it. You know, nobody that I know uses it. It is for all. I think
1: it was a breakthrough, though. I think we talk about user experience. It was a real breakthrough because yes. people didn't really know how to query the Internet. And what it did is allowed people to ask an actual question. I think when they when they marketed it, it was, it was like you can say, like, where can I find like dog food in my hometown? Yes. And otherwise, <laughs> if you're using other search engines, you just didn't know how to go at it. Maybe you had experience using a computer at the library to find something in a card catalog, but you're using the same logic as a card catalog and trying to fight against that in order to find something. And the internet was a whole different beast, and figuring out the right query was essentially impossible unless you know you you, you tried it a lot. You ended up with a lot of terrible sites um but yeah ask Jeeves is something that made it user friendly and then got people i i remember using it too it was my go-to for a while it went from ash Jeeves to google
0: yeah i i think i mean it's just it's a part of growing up in a certain culture with access to technology and at a certain time and for for context for people that just have no idea what you're what we're talking about right now one i want you to to look it up so you can see the kind of progression of technology because there's a direct analogy there between what's happening in the crypto markets. Um, Maybe the analogy that Brandon said about getting the CD of America online, that's a little bit easier for some people to understand, especially in foreign countries. But... um, just to provide some context here really quick, when Brandon's talking about the user experience of Ask Jeeves, it was a query where it prompted you to ask a question with a question at the end, and the kind of mechanism was that you were asking a digital butler who would go and retrieve the information for you, similar to what most people's experiences would have been in like a, I guess like a research library or some sort of library where you're asking a person of authority to help you access information. But it made it user-friendly, it obviously digitized it, and um, it was packaged in some cool, colorful colors. But when we look back on it, it still had very limited information. One, because the internet was not that big, and then two, because the search algorithms were in their, their primitive state. So when we're talking about USDH, Hubble, DeFi, all these things, and we're making this analogy, that's what we're trying to get at, is that in maybe five to 10 years, right, Five to 10 years, you'll be on your mobile phone. You've got USDH, you've got USDC, you've got whatever stable coins you want. You're staking them at 5% and it's just normal to you. And you'd have to reference this conversation between me and Brandon to talk about what Brandon was joking about. Where, oh, hey, remember in 2020 2022, where we were uh, talking about how Solana you know, kept going down and oh, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's doing hiccups and this, that, and that. And it will seem sort of primitive right it will just seem sort of old-fashioned and uh that is you know that is the way i have noticed technology usually works and it certainly seems to be the market that the the uh the marker that crypto is on so um getting off of that tangent because otherwise i'll talk to brandon for three hours about it we'll go down memory lane i uh we have another listener question here that has come in where I think this really applies to you, Brandon. So you said that you came to this project in um, December or so, is that correct? Uh, October. Gotcha. Okay, even better. October. So we were – well, okay, Bitcoin reached a high in November of last year, so we were definitely in a bear market. I'm sorry, bull market. We were definitely in a bull market. So you've been in this project in a bull market, and now we're in an extreme bear market as a lot of people would say, and as the numbers would indicate. Somebody wants to know that, you know, the crypto market has recently been uh, bearish, and in this scenario, it's really hard for investors to trust and invest in any projects. They want to know how you see these challenges in relation to Hubble and US, USDH. Uh,
1: in some ways, I find, I don't know if everyone agrees with me at Hubble, but I find it to be a bit of a godsend with our timing. Um, yeah, when B- Bitcoin reached a high in November, everyone was in euphoria and there wasn't anything you could do wrong. So there's a lot of stuff just sliding by that was on bad fundamentals, but the whole purpose of Hubble is to follow solid fundamentals and build sustainable products and services. You know, like I really believe in Marius and like, uh, his decisions and and the kind of developments, uh, that we're, we're going for um, and things that are going to survive a bear market and when a bull market comes back are really going to serve people better than the things that just kind of end up being a Ponzi when the, the bull market goes away. Sure. That's what I think. Yeah. It's like where do we really yield value and how can we exploit it so that it creates – plenty of value for users when the bull market return.
0: Well, yeah, and I was going to ask you that real quick. Um, You know, I don't like to have like a lot of negativity on these AMAs or trash other projects or anything like that, but this is a question that came up that uh, that I think is factual and that you could could expand upon. Um, You know, so certainly when you came in in October and when you're building all this stuff for Hubble, Luna is going through the roof and people are loving it and it's an algorithmic stablecoin surely you must have had pressure from people to say, hey, why are you guys over collateralized? You don't need to do that. You could be making a lot more money. You could be doing this. You could be doing that. But as you're talking about, you really wanted to have fundamentals to the project. And as we have seen, nobody, you know, some people could have anticipated this. Some people could not have. Um, Like I said, I'm not going to be super negative or trash other projects, especially that I'm not a part of. But we saw what happened in May with Terra because it was not really collateralized at at all uh it was an algorithmic stablecoin, and if you still don't know what that is you can look up um a lot of conversations that will break down really kind of how complex and and derivative it was so the fact that hubble was over collateralized and that you always had those fundamentals there you must be kind of you know smiling a little bit knowing that perhaps you were you were right all along
1: um well we don't want to be right at the expense of other projects but yeah there's there's kind of a uh, a triad of things working against most algorithmic stable coins. Um, like, okay, so there's three things that need to work together, and historically they don't work together all at the same time, or you can't control them forever. Like a level of demand, like that's consistent um, doesn't really go down. Um, you need actors from the market incentivized to work with you right? in order to keep something stable and then you need really reliable price information no matter what because if that price information is off then the stability is going to be off too. Now the state of like oracles and networks and everything where technology is at, that's very difficult with greed and the way people act in the markets at certain times and profit you know, seeking behaviors, that's also very difficult to get people to cooperate and then just if you have something that constantly needs people to go in it and to, to constantly be like, like always up then yeah, it's just not very safe. And like I said, yeah, this is kind of collateral deposition something that can be unwound. And if the technology does kind of fail and we can't liquidate people to stay solvent, we have a, a buffer of like 20% to make sure that we're back. Um, that's that's really like important. If anything goes really wrong, it, it, it's 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 not like uh, we don't have safeguards in place. We're like very ready for um, a lot of different contingencies. That's great to hear. Not that inviting them, but you know, it's something uh, every like stays awake at night thinking. Be possible, And that's, I guess, what we have to do in this game is is make sure that we're as safe as possible.
0: Well, that's that's great to hear. I I always say that an adage you should have for the crypto markets is to plan for the worst and hope for the best because that way when the worst happens, it's just another situation that you're dealing with. Um, And it's kind of, it's sometimes surprising to me, but I guess not surprising to me um, that people don't understand that. Uh, So, but it's just, it's very simple things like, hey, maybe... Don't buy Bitcoin on leverage, you know, maybe just dollar cost average in because when you own it, you don't have to liquidate it and you can hold it long term or, you know, maybe don't don't go crazy with margins unless you have a lot of experience with it or, you know, don't invest more money. Very simple investing principles that have stood the test of time. Um, And so it's good to know that kind of those same fundamentals Marius is thinking of with the with the hubble protocol well brandon we are not going to keep you here all day we've got one last question before we reach the hour mark and that's usually when i try and let people go um the last question here from me which i'll let you talk about as long as you want to is what do you think are the biggest challenges that hubble faces and what does hubble look like maybe a year five years down the road
1: um, so I'd say our biggest challenges are just uh, uh, meeting, meeting demands of the market uh, as quickly as we can and expanding the use cases for USDH as quickly as possible. Um, but the more use cases for USDH, the uh, more reasons that there are for people to, to mint it and then go out there and participate in decentralized finance. And it seems like you can just say, like, hey, Project X, Project Y, USDH, but it takes a lot of time to work with people. So uh, it's say the challenges are, like, there's a lot of things we want to do, um, but time, yeah, uh, the work and time. We've got a really good team, and uh, we've, we're working a lot, but still, it's, yeah, how do, how do we get all this stuff in time? And that's another cool thing about, like, the position we're in right now uh, it, it feels like so much pressure to get things done in a bull market but in the bear market um it's, it's maybe less pressure and we're talking to more real actors and we can see like i like this idea like the, the the tide has gone back out and you can see who's naked so <laughs> that's a uh, kind of reduced like the challenge of, of like who who and where uh to go which is a cool thing
0: yeah um charles, yeah, charles- so- Real quick, sorry. I was going to say exactly what you said, Charles Hoskinson of Cardano has said as well. He says that he loves bear markets because all the pressure is off from all the people that um, kind of don't know what they're talking about or are just in it for the money, and he can sit back and build in peace. And so you've, uh, you've got a good head on your shoulders there if you're, if you're um, aligning with Charles Hoskinson. But I'm sorry, I, I cut you off there from what Hubble looks like in one, maybe five years.
1: Uh, I'd say it would be a protocol that people can come to and almost set it and forget it. If that's possible, they can participate as finance, finance as easily as, as as go to the Web 2 site of their bank and you know finding maybe more products and services that they can get from a bank in traditional finance today. That that's what I that's what I'd love to see. Access and usability.
0: And that would fit well with the name of Hubble, as you said, because it came from the uh, from Edwin Hubble, who was the one at least to theorize or say that the universe is constantly expanding. So for a protocol to be constantly expanding and have the fundamentals that Hubble does, seems like that would be a natural fit.
1: Yeah. Uh, one last thing before we go. I just want to reiterate. Uh, if anyone goes to Hubble and mints uh, exactly and holds that position for uh, up until uh, the end of July, uh, we're going to pick someone and airdrop $300. And we'll, we'll, te- uh, we'll check this all on-chain. Um, so, yeah, if anyone goes, mince eighty eight USDH, holds it to the end of July. You can also borrow in another trove. You can borrow whatever you like. But if you do that, we can see who listens and uh, does this. Exactly. So you get
0: airdrop 300 Exactly. And where is the best place that you would like people to find out more about the Hubble Protocol, Brandon?
1: Um, If you go to our landing page at Hubble Protocol um, or our blog, uh, blog blog.hubbleprotocol.io. Also, uh, Twitter is constantly updated and our Discord. Uh, You can find the link to our Discord on our Twitter page. Join the the discussion right away. We are always there talking to people.
0: There you go. There you go. So I've got a little bit of housekeeping here to finish up, and then I'll say goodbye to Brandon. He's been such a good sport, and he's told us all about Hubble Protocol, USDH, HBB, his thoughts on the market, Um, pretty much everything that we wanted to talk about within this hour. So just – I. Hey! Nathan here from BitMart. Hope you liked that conversation. I know that I always do. It's great learning more about crypto and kind of putting a face behind all the technical jargon. But that's not the last thing we have to do. We've got to get some legal stuff out of the way, and so here it goes. All opinions and actions expressed and undertaken by the hosts and guests are individual opinions and actions and do not reflect the views and actions of BitMart. BitMart does not guarantee the accuracy, applicability, reliability, integrity, performance, completeness, or appropriateness of this content. The value of digital currencies can go up or down, and there can be a substantial risk in buying, selling, holding, or investing in digital currencies. You should carefully consider whether trading or holding digital currencies is suitable for you based on your personal investment objectives, financial circumstances, and risk tolerance. BitMart does not provide investment, tax or legal advice. Use of BitMart services is entirely at your own risk.